This is Mike Levitt. Our nation is faced with two very important, but sometimes competing priorities. We have a duty to provide the best possible health care for every patient, but we must also remain competitive in a global marketplace. That's what value-based care is all about. Our challenge is to create a uniquely American system of health care. Truly, we're in a race to make value work. Welcome to The Race to Value, a weekly podcast hosted by Dr. Eric Weaver and Daniel Chipping of the Institute for Advancing Health Value. The Institute is a nonprofit organization focused on accelerating the industry to succeed in health value. Join Eric and Daniel as they engage the executives, clinicians, and entrepreneurs who are leading this race to value. Race to value listeners, this week we're talking about the new primary care model. We have the one and only Steve Sell, Chief Executive Officer and member of the board at Agilon Health, joining us this week to talk about the important work that Agilon is doing in primary care transformation. Steve's a mission-based CEO. He's known for transforming organizations through partnerships, product innovations and talented collaborative teams. He's someone that has 25 years of experience in the healthcare industry. He previously, before Agilon, was the president and CEO and chairman of HealthNet, which is Centene's largest subsidiary. In that role, he was responsible for $14 billion in business and 7,300 employees and 3 million members in, in the health plan. You know, this is someone that I'm so excited for you as listeners to hear from an experienced leader that's really out there doing the work, transforming healthcare as we know it through technology-enabled product innovation and helping us as leaders navigate the landscape and, and of course, serving the primary care community, which is really the foundation, full-risk, value-based capitated primary care as the future of the value movement. Daniel, I, I just could not be more excited about this great conversation we just had with Steve Sell, and I'm, I'm so excited to share it with our listeners this, this week. I totally agree. What a great conversation. That was a lot of fun. And the great thing about Agilon is they've got the data to back it all up. You know, they've got a 94% net promoter score. They've got fewer emergency room visits, fewer hospitalizations, and higher rates of uh, primary care physician office visits. And they've got these amazing partnerships with uh, Maine Health, United Physicians, Austin Regional Clinic, Central Ohio Primary Care. Steve talks about, he makes some great points about what makes them successful. He talks about being first and their scale, the alignment and the speed at which they move. All of these things make for an incredible conversation. And I, I look forward to sharing it as well. Well, let's now hear from Steve Sell as he joins us in the Race to Value. And if you like this episode, please remember to rate Race to Value on Apple Podcasts. We'd love a five-star. We'd love your comments. Uh, we want to continue to bring important programs like this one to you all to help you win the Race to Value. Steve, welcome to the Race to Value. It's so great to have you on this week. Thanks. It's great to be here. Really looking forward to the conversation. Well, Steve, as we begin our conversation today, I'd like to learn more about how Agilon is differentiated from other innovative primary care solutions in the marketplace like ChinMed and Oak Street, VillageMD, Allidate, and others. I've been following the company for quite a while now since its founding in 2016, and it's amazing to see how it's grown to over 250,000 Medicare Advantage members and over 90,000 attributed direct contracting beneficiaries. From 2021 to current year, Agilon's consolidated Medicare Advantage membership has increased 51% year over year, driven by contributions from new geographies and 20% growth within the same geographies. And Agilon's become a trusted partner. You have 17 diverse communities with 2,000 PCPs on the platform, and the company has this vision 
to transform the future of healthcare in 100 plus communities across the country. And the company's become a trusted partner with your primary care physicians. And you have this purpose-built platform that empowers them to accelerate the transition to value-based total cost of care models for senior patients and fully delegated capitated Medicare Advantage plans. And also the the full risk traditional Medicare with the GBDC direct contracting program. And as our listeners know, that'll soon be transitioning to ACO reach. So I'd love to learn more about how, how Agilon provides the technology, people, capital, and process standardization to allow primary care practices to maintain independence while focusing on the total health of their most vulnerable populations. Can you describe how Agilon approaches this massive opportunity for value creation by empowering exceptional patient-physician relationships. And what's the total market opportunity here? And how does the unique and different differentiated design of the Agilon platform provide community-based primary care physicians with a transformation glide path to reimagine the care delivery experience for older adults? Thanks, Eric, again for being here, and I'm really happy uh, and thrilled to be able to share with you what we're doing at Agilon. I think it starts with the premise that we think primary care in the country is really flawed. It's been built around a fee-for-service system that's incredibly fragmented, incredibly uncoordinated, and the experience for physicians, for patients, is really unsatisfying. But more importantly than that, I think we really believe that primary care is the key to transforming healthcare in these communities that we serve, hence our vision around that idea. And so we've created a new primary care model, one that takes existing primary care physicians, people who've been in groups in these communities and they've been there for decades, take those existing docs, those existing patients and their existing health plans and moves their senior patients from a fee-for-service arrangement into a full-risk value-based care relationship like the one that you talked about. And as part of that, we don't just change the payment mechanism and give that primary care physician the total care responsibility, but we also give them incredible resources in terms of a care team within their office, in terms of resources at critical junctures within healthcare, like within the emergency room, within the local hospitals, at the point that a referral is being made to a specialist to make sure that that senior patient gets to that top tier, top quality specialist. So it's really a holistic approach to that. And you laid out the growth that we've seen. I mean, the the company was formed in the middle of 2016. We went live with our first partner implementing them in 2017, went live January 1st of 2018. And with our most recent class, we're approaching 500,000 senior patients that'll be on the platform between those that are live and those that we're implementing. We're just over 1% of the primary care physicians in the country. We're in 23 communities, 12 states. And so it's really taken off. And, you know, I think there's a few keys to what we're doing. I think this has been built with physicians, for physicians. I think we've built an incredible amount of trust and built a track record I think if you look at primary care physicians and the types of organizations that they're in the country, any primary care physician can find an Agilon partner that looks and sounds and thinks like the group they're in today. And so it's been a real evolution across time. How we do that is unique. We enter into a 20-year exclusive joint venture partnership with these groups people who've been in their communities for decades and are really well-respected. And that gives us scale. Scale is super important to be able to change how care is delivered in the community. The partnership creates incredible alignment so that the primary care physicians and the group's economics are tied with the outcomes you're looking for in terms of a better quality experience overall, better outcomes, and lower costs. So how we do it is different, where we do it is different. We're very focused on going to markets that have been 100% fee-for-service and really being the catalyst with this group partner to change that entire community. We believe that full-risk value-based care is the best way to organize an entire community 
and that these primary care physicians can really move to the top of the overall delivery of care and help to guide that. So we're first in these communities, we bring scale, we bring alignment. I think a couple other differences is the speed with which we do this. If, if you talk with a number of organizations, they might talk about three, four, five years to move a community, a group of patients from fee-for-service into risk we do it within 12 months. We have a very intensive 12 month implementation period to take these new partners from that old world of fee for service into this new world where we really strengthen that patient physician experience. And then I think it's, you see tremendous leaps in terms of impact from an experience perspective and a quality perspective and a, a cost perspective. And so our doctors are loving it. They're really benefiting tremendously. Patients love it. Our net promoter scores are 80 plus, which obviously in healthcare is, is at the very top, but it's, it's better than places like Apple and like Amazon. And so it's great for patients, it's great for doctors, and it's great for communities. And so that, that's, I think, really at the heart of what's been able to drive our success. And I think we're in the early days. It's really only getting started. Steve, I love the vision that you've painted, and I couldn't agree more that uh, primary care is where the transformation needs to happen and where it's going to lead the industry into this new mindset of care delivery. And I'd love to hear more about your thoughts on the fully delegated Medicare Advantage risk as a way to get there. As a, as a point of reference for our listeners, currently 40% of all Medicare beneficiaries, which are 28 million people, are enrolled in MA plans. And the CBO projects that the share of beneficiaries enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans will be about 50% in the next few years. And this enrollment growth trajectory, you know, coupled with a silver tsunami of aging baby boomer population, this is an attractive business opportunity to get into for primary care physicians. And if they can do it well, it's really a remarkable opportunity to have an impact in, in population health with rewarding economics for the provider. And MA plans really seem to be an area also for consumer-centric innovation, where, as you described with this fully delegated, capitated risk models, it allows opportunities to provide senior members greater flexibility in benefit design, inventive care models. It's, it's an increased emphasis on economic value and unique benefit options, and while still being affordable or more affordable than traditional fee-for-service coverage. And can you elaborate further on how fully capitated Medicare Advantage plans can serve as a primary risk vehicle for improving outcomes in senior populations? And how does partner activation within the Agilon platform create a flywheel effect that drives success through the aligned economics? And, and finally, are there examples you can provide on medical margin progression with your partners where they were able to decrease PMPM PM spend and lower MLR by addressing impactable utilization of medical services while at the same time improving clinical outcomes. Yeah, I, I, I'm happy to you know take that on and kind of walk through it. I, I think the first thing that we all have to step back and notice is that demographics are a, a massive force. We have an aging population in this country. The growth in Medicare and the growth in Medicare Advantage is really fueled by the fact that 10,000 people a day are turning age 65. We're going to have 78 million people in the Medicare program by 2030. And as you said, the majority are projected to be in Medicare Advantage. And everyone looks at primary care and primary care physicians as the key to really transforming care delivery, delivering better care for seniors and playing this role. The challenge is they don't have the economic model to do it today. In fact, Many of the primary care physicians in the country look at the aging demographics and as their practice changes from 75% commercial, 25% Medicare to 70-30 and 65-35, it is an incredible challenge for them economically. Typically, primary care doctors do better in, in a commercial world. They typically break even to lose money on their, on their Medicare population. And that is a very difficult process going forward. And so it's really about the payment model to that primary care physician and their group, which is the key that, that starts this process of transformation. So 
you know, in terms of your question about how do we think about full risk MA and global capitation models, I believe that it is a key part of driving this transformation for primary care practices, for better senior care, for better community care, and frankly, for just a, a better performing Medicare program overall. It is a minority of people today that sit within these full risk relationships across the Medicare program. And there's different data points out there, but I would guess in full risk models, less than 10% of seniors sit within them. It's a larger percentage under the, the MA program. But my point is it's, it's really early days and it's, it's very nascent, but I believe it's one of the keys to really make this, this happen uh, in terms of that transformation. And it's, it's the key to allowing these, these physicians to take that total care responsibility and, and really guide things overall. When we look at data points out there, there's a New England Journal of Medicine article that was published in the first quarter of this year that looked at Medicare Advantage. And it looked at, it was a national study, it looked at patient populations that were in fee-for-service underneath Medicare Advantage to that primary care physician and group. It looked at shared surplus models with upside only. And then it looked at what we're talking about, which is capitation and that, that total risk, meaning you take upside and downside risk on that. And the results were, were really pretty remarkable. It looked at the association between the value-based care payment buckets I talked about and acute care use. And what it found was that, one, there wasn't a lot of difference between fee-for-service and a shared savings program with upside only. But when you looked at those two relative to full-risk value-based care, you saw a 5 to 8% reduction in terms of hospitalizations. And in terms of emergency room visits per thousand, you saw an 11 to 13% reduction. All of this is risk-adjusted across those populations. And it's a double-blind study within the the, the Journal of Medicine, as I, as I talked about, but I there's not a lot of studies to date that really start to call out what I sort of have known based on my experience for 20 plus years. I was in Southern California running a health plan called HealthNet. We passed more risk to physician groups than really, I think, any other health plan in the country. And we used to have seven models, all the way from fee-for-service up to full-risk capitation, and consistently, the best model from a cost, quality, and experience perspective was that full risk model. Our ability now to take this to communities for the first time that haven't been able to do it, to take the majority of our health plans have never done that, to be able to move them over as well as their physicians and patients can drive just incredible results and, and we're seeing it. So you asked about sort of our, our medical margin experience. And, you know, we, we use that term very consciously because we look at that as a mechanism for reinvesting in primary care in the community. We take all of the downside and we split the upside 50-50 with our primary care groups. We bring the technology, bring the process, the people. We create the opportunity to move into full risk. And then we provide the support for our partners to be really successful as they step into it. This year, Daniel, as a result of driving positive improvements in medical margin, we'll invest over $100 million, reinvest $100 million into primary care in our communities. And so that's creating this primary care no longer is declining in these communities. It's stabilizing. It's growing. We are recruiting more and more primary care physicians to come in, some out of residency programs, others from existing programs. Some primary care physicians are coming back who've actually left adult primary care practice out of burnout, fee-for-service saying, hey, this is a better world. I can be successful in this team-based sport to come back into it. So I think there's sort of this incredible flywheel that's occurring as you get in and drive success. And it's it really speaks to how much waste there is in the Medicare program. There are so many unnecessary hospitalizations. There's so many unnecessary visits and entry points through the emergency room. The key that we've found is 
we need to allow our primary care physicians to see their most complex patients significantly more often than they were doing before. And so our, you know, we've created a business model for them that really rewards them for creating time in their schedule for complex patients. We work with their front office staff, and then we've created technology and data that allows them to better understand who those high-risk patients are and when a proactive visit would be the most valuable. And an example I'll give you is what we found is if our primary care physicians see one of their patients who's been discharged from the hospital within 48 hours, the reduction in readmission rates is greater than 20%. If it's even a week versus those two days, you don't see nearly the impact. And part of that is around simple things like medication adherence. Typically that patient is seeing a variety of specialists, they've left with a series of medications, they're looking at that and trying to figure that out. And so for that primary care physician, supported by a care team, might be a social worker, might be a pharmacist and care manager, to help that patient think about what's my at-home plan? When do you need to come back in to see me? Is this something we should do virtually? Is this something we should do in person? Should we be sending somebody in the home for you? That's all part of that high-touch model with these most complex patients. And that's what drives the incredible results in terms of reductions in cost and improvement in experience and quality like I talked about. Well, Steve, it's just outstanding to hear, you know, how you've created a model to really address the the most vulnerable patients and Medicare Advantage certainly is an opportunity to create value transformation in our country. And there's a lot of people following this value movement right now. And I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the big news right now with Amazon's acquisition of one medical for $3.9 billion dollars. Before this acquisition, most of our listeners will recall that One Medical acquired Iora Health last year. And at the time, One Medical was entirely focused on providing a membership-based primary care practice model for younger commercial members and employer groups. And the acquisition of Iora Health, however, allowed them to enter into the Medicare Advantage arena as that was a target focused of Iora Health as an advanced primary care company. And when you evaluate the One Medical combined revenue portfolio that includes the Iora business, there's an interesting financial realization. I mean, the One Medical commercially insured business includes 767,000 patients, but only accounts for $130 million in revenue, whereas the Iora Health MA business has 39,000 MA patients, but accounts for 120 million revenue. So if you run the math, you know, the Iora's MA patients are $12,300 PMPY in revenue, and the one medical legacy business is only $714 PMPY per member per year. Well, that means globally capitated MA patients generated 17 times more revenue compared to those legacy enterprise members. So when you enter Amazon Care into the equation, and this is a company that's traditionally known for digital health and telemedicine services for employers, so that's a big change in the landscape. And this purchase of One Medical for $3.9 billion, it's a huge acquisition price, but it's also a significant opportunity for Amazon to pivot into full-risk Medicare Advantage. So I wanted to ask you what you thought about the significance of the Amazon acquisition of One Medical, and what does it mean for primary care physicians and patients. I mean, with Amazon's backing, providing One Medical with a huge financial war chest to expand into the primary care market, how do you think this will change the primary care landscape and the competitive landscape for Agilon? First of all, Eric, I, I appreciate the question. I, I think it is, it, it's, a, it's a meaningful announcement. I think the first thing it means is sort of where we started this conversation, which is there's a need for a new primary care model and one that yields a much better experience for physicians and patients than what we've seen historically. There's a lot of dissatisfaction around that. So I think that's kind of point number one. Point number two is Amazon has looked at primary care and come to many of the conclusions that, that we at Agilon and others have come to, which is the overall experience is not that great. 
the overall access model is really not that great. It's hard to get in to see a primary care physician and it can take a long time. The primary care physician is overworked, doesn't have the ability to spend the time with the most complex patients that are there. And it's super fragmented. If you have a series of specialists, when you go to see your primary care physician, the fee-for-service world, they, they really don't know what's happened to you previously. They very well may not know you were even in the emergency room or you were in the hospital. And that that is a super unsatisfying experience. And so we'll have to see how Amazon decides to put together the, the pieces. You talked about some of the different investments that they've made, but I think they look at the situation in primary care and see a lot of the problems slash opportunities that, that we do. I think how they're going to approach it and how we approach it will probably be different. I think for us, we believe that Again, primary care is really the vehicle to transforming total care overall. It's not just about having a better primary care experience, but actually making them that care quarterback and taking the total responsibility. You know, the dollars that you talked about and the massive difference between the kind of concierge commercial model and the Medicare model is really a function of just the total spend difference between people who are over age 65 with complex needs and, and the average commercial patient is just, it's dramatically different. With that, the higher revenue dollars though comes the total cost responsibility and the total care responsibility. So it's, it is a big responsibility. We really believe it takes that holistic view. That's why we like to go into these communities with these partners and see ourselves as transforming that entire community, connecting not just with three, four, five health plans, but with the local emergency rooms, with the hospitals, with the health information exchanges, so that we have all of that information. And we look at the day and say, what are those ERs where we should embed people? When someone goes to one when we're not there, how do we find out rapidly so that we can make sure that we are rounding on that patient? And that someone from the care team is connecting with them so that that primary care physician can play a larger role. I wrote a note to our primary care partners, in part because I was getting a series of questions on this very topic. And I said, you know, to me, the Amazon decision on one medical is sort of the latest indicator that a number of competitors have identified primary care as a place to invest. Now, it may be a place to invest to make the experience a whole lot better, and that's going to be a good business and connect with other sort of consumer things that are being done out there. The way we've looked at it is a place to invest to really transform care overall. And so I've said, hey, there's a need and an opportunity for us to do even better. It levels up the demands around what we need to do from an experience perspective. It really emphasizes this access model and the need to get those most complex patients in and make sure we always know where they're at. And if we do a really good job on that, because of the alignment in our model, we're going to save more dollars. That's going to generate more surplus. That's going to translate into investment back into these primary care practices. And there's a virtuous cycle. And so what I said is, we have created something together with our partners that has the potential to really differentiate primary care as this overall transformation vehicle in their communities. But other people are looking at the primary care opportunity as well. And there's only 200,000 primary care physicians in the country. And so I think it becomes, you know, the, the, the race to value is the name of your podcast. And I just think it says... These primary care physicians are really scarce resources. They need to be treated incredibly well. And we've got a partnership approach that really makes them the most important person in their community, gives them the ability to be the leader in transforming that community overall. And our data would say more and more primary care physicians in their communities and in other communities around the country are making the choice to join. But I... There is competition, and I, I think that's a good thing. Steve, I'd like to go deeper into that comment that you made about primary care physicians being a scarce resource. And, and let's talk about the immense challenge our industry is facing with a worsening shortage 
of primary care physicians, especially with independents, which are the key target segment for prospective partners in Agilon's model. There's a growing body of evidence that illustrates how real this primary care shortage really is. Only 20% of young doctors are going into primary care, and the percentage of PCPs in the physician workforce has fallen to 32%. The Association of American Medical Colleges actually projects that the U.S. will face a shortage of primary care physicians ranging from 17,800 to 48,000 providers by 2034. And the executive president of the physician search firm, Merritt Hawkins, recently described the current situation as, quote, the worst primary care shortage we've had in 20 years, end quote. It seems that if we want to refocus our healthcare system on primary care, we'll have to increase the number of primary care physicians across the country. Thus, the restructuring of the system must provide incentives for more doctors to go into primary care. And I think that that is really at the heart of the value-based movement. Value-based care puts PCPs in the driver's seat since they control upwards of 90% of the downstream medical spend, and they're well-positioned to make an impact in population health outcomes if allowed to practice in this more holistic, patient-centered, relationship-based way without the constraints of fee-for-service reimbursement like you've been talking about. The primary care shortage, obviously, it's a really significant national problem. Can you describe how Agilon is recruiting PCPs in its various markets amidst the primary care shortage, especially in the independent space? And does Agilon offer any innovative compensation programs to attract more docs? Yeah, well, well, Daniel, I, I really appreciate the question. And I mean, the headline is we need more primary care doctors, period. And the first thing that we need to do to address the shortage problem you talked about is we have to slow the attrition rate. We have to slow the number of adult primary care doctors who are leaving the practice of medicine because they've concluded that it's just too challenging. It's too complex. You know, the aging demographics that we talked about with the Medicare population and the need to spend more time with them, yet the, the economic challenge in the fee-for-service world makes it really hard for them. And so I, I think that's kind of the first point that, that I would make. And one of the things I mentioned earlier is that we are very focused on attracting other primary care physicians to join in, because once we're there, we find that the experience for these groups, for these physicians is so satisfying that, that others want to come into it. We are recruiting over 100 primary care physicians for our partners to join in the next 12 months. And that, that number will go up every year. We are drawing people out of residency programs. We are drawing physicians that have left primary care practice to come back. One of the things that we're, we're super proud of is our women physician leadership group that we've organized. What we've found is in value-based care, it's a team-based sport, and that women physicians perform exceptionally well. They have the attributes that you need to be successful. They have exceptional patient-physician relationships. They're great coordinators across. They work very good communicators. They work very well within a team. And so the idea that a women physician has built a practice and gets to, you know, having kids and says, hey, I can't keep doing fee for service and leaves. Instead, the ability to say I'm part of a team, I can go have my child, I can come back. I've built something that will continue and my patients will be better off because I come back and I've known them for a long time is starting to gain traction. So how do you get at the PCP shortage? I think you're innovative around it. And so more students out of residency, my dream is that we're gonna to start to look like the rest of the developed world in which adult primary care five, 10 years from now is in the top five. Today, it's like 12 or 13, and there's all these specialties in front of it. A lot of it has to do with the economics. We do not compensate primary care the way we talk about it. We talk about it as the most important vehicle overall, the ones that should be able to guide overall care, but we don't resource it that way and we don't compensate it that way. So when you ask about what are we doing from a compensation program, 
our partnership is really focused around this idea of alignment and making sure that the group and then the individual's physician's economics really line up with taking better care of their patients and reducing costs overall, driving a better experience. And, and Medicare Advantage rewards all of that. So when you get in a, a program in which higher quality scores and better experience gives you higher revenue, and then you're managing that total premium dollar overall for your patient you're in a long-term relationship with, you take a long-term view. You invest ahead of the outcome. You see that patient more often and you critically see them at those junctures in which healthcare costs can really explode unless you manage people closely and the patient can end up having a terrible experience. And so the compensation side of this is that we see primary care physicians who might be making $180,000 to $200,000 a year seen a dramatic step up that could approach $300,000 that can go over $300,000 within a few years by doing the right things. And that's only happening because the community is winning and the patients are winning. People are spending less time in the ER. They're spending less time in the hospital. They're more compliant with their medications. And so all of that, I've been doing healthcare for 20 plus years, and this is the best aligned model that I've ever seen from CMS to the community and the payer to the physician to the patient in which everyone is really benefiting around it. I think the, the elegance and the simplicity of this compensation model that aligns with better outcomes for the patient is allowing our physicians to win other physicians are seeing it and joining them, some coming out of retirement, more students choosing out of residency programs. Now, is it early days as a drop in the bucket? Yes. Is it going to take time? Absolutely. But it's, it's happening in these communities that we're operating in. And it, if it can happen there, it can happen everywhere. And so that's why I'm, I'm really optimistic and encouraged by what we're doing. And, you know, I've had primary care doctors say to me, it's fun to be a primary care doctor again. They didn't think they'd ever say that again. They didn't know that this could, they, they had heard about how it should be in medical school. People didn't really educate them on the fee-for-service treadmill and how challenging that was, but this allows them to practice medicine the way they were trained. We need to teach them about the team-based sport and leveraging all of those resources and really allow them to use their, their skill and their training for the best and highest use. But that's how we're approaching it and why we're so encouraged. Well, Steve, I'm encouraged as well, and it hits at the the heart of the value movement because it addresses that quadruple aim, and you know, and in, in that in turn creates the improved patient provider relationship. And you know, I know that's an important part of your mission, and I wanted to engage you on the importance of the Agilon mission and vision, and how that relates to the scalability of the business. The mission of the company is to be a trusted long-term partner of community-based physicians, enabling them to reimagine the patient experience for older adults and lead the transformation of care delivery in their communities. And achieving that mission will help you realize the long-term vision or your North Star, which is to transform the future of healthcare in 100-plus communities across the country by empowering these exceptional patient-physician relationships. And as I think about that, I'm reminded of a quote by Jack Welch where he stated, Good business leaders create a vision, articulate the vision, passionately own the vision, and relentlessly drive it to completion. And Steve, I can tell you're a leader that clearly articulates the vision to everyone on your team at all levels in the organization. So for Agilon to reach that vision of 100-plus communities, your aligned partnership model has to rapidly and efficiently scale across diverse physician groups and communities. Can you explain how important scale is in your business? to help you reach your vision goal? And how is Agilon able to leverage its common platform in regional infrastructure to support your growth objectives? Eric, it's a great question. I guess I'll start by saying, I think we all can do a lot of things and, and make choices about where we want to go in our careers and what will we want to work on. And I have to say, there's nothing else I'd rather be doing this right now. I, I think it's so important for the country. I think it's so important for our partners and the communities they serve. 
they have been there for decades and they believe deeply in improving the overall health of their community. And they can see already the impact that they're having. They're hearing it from other physicians, primary care and specialties. They're hearing it from their partners within local hospitals. And so it's just an exciting time. And I, it's easy to do something that you love. And I think we have a group of people that are very mission-based and really drawn by, by what we're doing. But you need to be able to really drive success to enable that mission and, and that vision. And scale is really important. I mean, we've made conscious decisions in how we've set this up. One, we work with existing medical groups who've been there for decades. Two, we choose groups that have critical adult primary scale in their communities, 15%, 20%, 25%. And then we grow that scale across time. We talked about attracting other physicians and, and bringing them into these partnerships and on the platform because local scale, healthcare is local. I mean, the fact that we have 2,200 primary care physicians nationally is great. The fact that we're over 1% is great, but it really is locally where things happen. And so the ability for our partners to be able to guide care and be able to influence where specialty care is delivered, be able to go to a top tier cardiologist when you look at the cost and quality data is super important. That patient's going to be with that cardiologist for the rest of their life. Cardiac conditions go on. And so they're almost like another primary care physician. Influencing where that occurs is really huge. Influencing, do they need to go to the hospital? How long should they be there? What does the discharge plan look like and where do they go afterwards? Hugely impactful in terms of what the overall outcome is. They can't do that without scale. Now they need better information. They need resources around them as well. So it's not just scale alone, but scale is super important locally. And then nationally, as we get larger, we have the ability to really leverage across the Agilon network, the learnings that we're getting. We now have so many groups that are delivering this in their communities that they have the ability to look at best practices and how can they learn from each other. We have simple red, green, yellow scorecards. We jointly govern this with them and the physicians are making all the clinical decisions, but we're giving them feedback on what's working in other communities and they wanna know why someone is green. Why, why is their readmission rate so much lower than ours. What are they doing in the hospital? How is their discharge planning working? And so that comes from the scale of building out a nationwide network and having enough data points that people can compare. So scale is absolutely critical in terms of what we do. There, there are other elements, but without scale, we would not be having the success that or our partners would not be having the success that I talked about. Steve, let's shift gears a little bit and talk about the coronavirus pandemic. We know that COVID-19 has disrupted all corners of the health system and its long-term impacts are yet unknown. And despite this uncertainty, industry experts and policymakers agree that COVID-19 has only emphasized the need for significant payment and delivery transformation, showcasing the advantages of prospective non-fee-for-service-based alternative payment models coupled with new regulatory flexibilities, technological innovations, and cultural shifts to fast-track adoption. Acceleration to value-based payment really forces a realignment of economic incentives and care delivery, and in doing so, will save lives and improve the health of our communities. All that said, I'm particularly sensitive to how the pandemic crisis has impacted primary care physicians. Independent PCPs that were not receiving capitated revenue were particularly vulnerable during the worst times of the pandemic, and they were already operating on razor-thin margins year after year of reimbursement cuts and unfavorable payment structures and expensive EHR and tech implementations. And when you add a pandemic to the mix, it's a recipe for disaster. In your view and experience, how do you think COVID impacted the value movement and reshaped the primary care landscape? And for those independent PCs out there that are still reeling from the pandemic, how can practicing value-based care in a partnership model like Agilons provide sustainability? Daniel, I think the last couple of years with COVID 
has, if you were on the fence before about whether the move to, to full risk value was the right thing to do or not, I don't know that there's many people that are on that fence anymore, particularly within primary care. Fee-for-service was just been so, it was harmful for all the reasons we talked about, but when the demand shut off and people just were not leaving their homes and going to see their doctor, practices were incredibly challenged. Our practices that for their Medicare side of the business had this value-based arrangement, subscription arrangement, they kept incredible patient-physician relationships. They invested in telehealth and did outreach. We ran campaigns to people saying, you need to be connected with your primary care physician. If they weren't, if they didn't have a smartphone or an iPad or whatever, we actually set up parking lot medicine opportunities for them to drive by in their car to get a sanitized iPad and be able to have a visit with their primary care physician. And that, that was the early days, but it demonstrated sort of the start of this investment and the power of that total care relationship that that patient has with the, with the physician. And when you look at you know, net promoter scores, the scores for our partners went up in COVID. They didn't go down. Now think how terrible the overall experience was and how fractured in fee-for-service that relationship was with a physician. It strengthened. They saw their physicians more often. They touched them. Now, a lot of those visits in the early days were telehealth. You know, at the height, it was 60, 70, 80% of the visits were, were coming through telehealth. Today, it's sort of stabilized around like 15, 16% of those. But telehealth is now a part of that patient-physician relationship and a mechanism that the physician and the care team can kind of rely on. So that that is a, a huge part of this overall. I, you know, the ability to invest ahead of the outcome, to think long-term was never more on display than during COVID. So when I think about some of the investments that our partners made in telehealth, in terms of after hours and weekend access that they really amplified during that period of time. In terms of on-site locations that people could come to that segmented populations and allowed for the in-person delivery of care and people to feel safe around that, all of that took organization and investment and in coordination to make that happen. You know, the staffing side of this is incredible challenging. Not only are primary care physicians stressed, but staffing is a major challenge right now. And I, I think that's going to continue. And so what we've been able to do for our short staff partners is to help them in terms of cross-training staff, to leverage across the network, to think about what needs to be delivered in person versus what can be delivered from afar. It's demonstrated the power of this network that's sort of united in this vision of a partnership and a better primary care model that's allowed our, our practices to you know, succeed and in some cases really thrive throughout a very difficult pandemic. And so COVID's not going away. I mean, it's given up predicting sort of the latest variant and what the waves will look like. I think we're going to live with it. Um, but I think it's had some macro effects that have pushed us more towards value and made our partners really appreciative of what we've built together and the ability to really invest in things that, that are meaningful for their patients and, and for their overall practices. Well, I'm reminded of this quote, every adversity, there's an opportunity. And, you know, that's the silver lining, if you will, of the pandemic. I appreciate your perspective on that. And I think another opportunity, Steve, that I wanted to engage you on is this uh, new ACO REACH program. I mean, Agilon has a fairly large presence already in the direct contracting program, and the new ACO REACH model is very similar I mean, ACO Reach, like its predecessor, uses many of the same operating levers as Medicare Advantage, such as beneficiary engagement incentives, benefit enhancements, pass-through of benefits to pervert providers, and with partially and fully capitated options, as with MA, Reach ACOs will be responsible for most claims payments as well as medical management. As an enhancement to the direct contracting program, the ACO Reach model is also 
one of the first new payment models introduced by the Biden administration that makes health equity a specific goal. The administration wants to move fee-for-service Medicare beneficiaries into coordinated care relationships, and PCPs are participating or soon will be participating in the ACO REACH program to reach that aim. And according to CMS, Medicare fee-for-service beneficiaries who receive care through a REACH ACO will have access to enhanced care coordination services, telehealth visits, post-discharge home health care services, and may receive assistance with co-payments. Providers also are going to have to demonstrate because of these new health equity requirements that they're really reaching out and making an impact in underserved populations and meeting all those health equity measures and collecting data to demonstrate efficiency and quality improvement. So, Steve, I wanted to ask you for your perspective on the new REACH model and how is Agilon considering participation in this program as part of its long-term strategy? And how is Agilon evolving its platform also to better address the equity requirements that are going to be required in value-based care for the future? Well, it's a great question. I think it's a really important program. To us, you know, the REACH program provides the opportunities for our primary care physicians and their communities to really extend the REACH, no pun intended, to to more patients in terms of having that total care relationship. We really look at it as kind of one approach to the senior and how they come in. And regardless of whether they come in with a a REACH card through the fee-for-service program or a card from Aetna or Anthem, we want them to have the same outstanding experience. We want them to have that tight relationship with their primary care physician. We want those most complex patients to be seen more often. And we need to have our platform provide the information and the resources to those primary care physicians to make that that all possible. There's some neat innovations within the REACH program. The the primary care capitation that we're providing to our our partners is something that they're really seeing as another sort of sustaining vehicle for primary care and really reinforcing that, that total care relationship for them overall. We've got about 90,000 senior patients in reach today, and we will have more with this class of 23 uh, that I think will be announced here in, in, in the next month or two. It's in 10 of our 17 live communities today. So in those 10 communities, you have Medicare Advantage and direct contracting side by side for a group. They have that total care responsibility for all of those senior patients. You know, when you add in fee-for-service through the REACH program, in these practices, you're talking about almost doubling. It's different in every practice, but the number of senior patients that are in that total care relationship. And so the consistency around that, the ability to leverage some of the programs that are there that can really improve their overall experience and quality and help to better manage costs is really effective. It goes back to the scale question you asked. This is a scale concentration benefit that you get within the practice and within that community. When you look at some of our partners that have gotten really large and they look across Medicare Advantage and the REACH program, they might have 30, 35% of all the seniors in the community that are in a total care relationship. And so this is getting to be really material in terms of the ability to transform these communities. So I think it's a super important program like all you know, innovation programs, there are tweaks that are made in the early days. I think they made some good adjustments. Your question specifically around equity and social determinants, you know, I think those are fantastic things. And I think we applaud the administration's focus on those. 43% of our partners' office locations are in federally designated underserved areas. And so this access model in communities that have been all fee-for-service, that are underserved. That's a wonderful combination together to really improve overall primary care. Drawing more primary care physicians in, based on that earlier question that we, we talked about, is another piece of that. And so I think it's a super important program. I like where the evolution is going with it. And I think we we just want to keep that going. And what we've just said is from a policy perspective, 
anything that preserves the primary care physician's participation in a total care global risk model is a really good thing. And, and I think REACH does that. So we're encouraged by it and we're, we're full speed ahead. Steve, I'd like to dive deeper into the health equity topic, as well as the, the importance of addressing social determinants of health in the primary care setting. You know, the implications of SDOH on health equity are really huge since African-American, Hispanic, Native American communities and other underserved communities have long experienced wide gaps in household income and household wealth. And there's just so much to address in the SDOH space, you know, access to quality education, employment, housing, transportation, and, and nutritious food, all of this can influence the well-being of a community more than the delivery of healthcare services in and of themselves. So the health value movement will lead to a convergence of the traditional healthcare sector and communities where traditional lines of demarcation are becoming blended. Uh, can you describe what Agilon is doing in more detail in partnership with its primary care physicians to take upstream actions that address social determinants of health, like access to transportation, healthy food, and improved living environments? Yeah, absolutely. I, so just to back up, these physicians have been in these communities for decades with their groups. They are incredibly well-respected and really aligned with the idea of transforming these communities overall. And so the idea of how can we work across a diverse set of payers under Medicare Advantage and, and the REACH program to make sure that our seniors have access to transportation, to make sure that they're receiving care in the right place? You know, we have significant investments in home-based resources for them. Social workers are a key part of what we do. And one of the things that our senior patients notice They've been with their physicians for a long time, but as we come in in this partnership is that as they leave, they're spending time with a care manager, a social worker to talk about the home. What's the setting they're going into? What is their ability from a transportation perspective? What is their ability to get good nutrition and to be compliant? Do they understand their medications that are there? Are there language issues around that or just is there a family member who sort of understands that? And what's the follow-up that needs to occur? And so all of that, I place in that social determinants. Basically, when you have a care plan, what are the things that can get in the way from a social perspective that would prevent the compliance with that plan and, and the outcome that you're looking for from a health perspective? And then how do you make adjustments around that? You know, I ran a, a behavioral health company for a number of years. I've always said that next to primary care physicians, I think social workers are some of the most valuable people in overall health, the maintenance of, of health and the improvement of health. That's how we're thinking about it. I think it's a tremendous opportunity for us and we're just getting started. Well, Steve, I've really enjoyed our conversation today. I've learned so much and Agilon has this new transformative way of bringing primary care to the level where it can create improved health in communities and address some of the pervasive issues that we're seeing in our uh, healthcare system that's so entrenched in fever service. And as we finish up our conversation today, I wanted to ask you about the recent IPO for Agilon. I mean, the company entered the public market last year following a string of other Medicare Advantage-focused startups seeking IPOs, and Agilon initiated its IPO with a $9 billion valuation seeking to raise more than a billion. And many people within and outside of the industry don't view healthcare investments and primary care companies as a positive development. I mean, the criticism there, as you know, stems from concerns about the influence of investors on medical practices relative to their clinical decision-making prices and patient access. And we've even seen CMS chime in on this and the newly announced ACO REACH model, where they're now requiring at least 75% of each participating ACO's governing body to be controlled by providers. So given that Agilon is now a public company that has investor expectations, how are you able to manage the short-term pressures of being a publicly traded company versus the long-term needs of patients and physicians? 
I really appreciate the question, Eric. I, you know, I'd start by saying I, I think if you talk to our physicians, to our patients, and to people in the communities in which we're operating, they would tell you just the, the incredible positive impact that we've seen there. You know, your question about short-term versus long-term, too much in healthcare is really short-term. The fragmentation that we talked about, the lack of coordination, there's a disconnect between this ability to invest ahead of the outcome and wait for it to develop. Our whole thesis is all about the long term. So your question about how do you balance that is we enter into 20 year exclusive partnerships. It takes longer with these groups to come to agreement because we're, we're really getting married and we're doing this together with them in their communities. We're investing in things that really matter. We're not building facilities. We're not marketing Agilon. We're not acquiring physicians. We are really focused on how do we take the physicians, the patients, the health plans, the facilities, the hospitals in a community and organize it differently in the same dollars to really drive better outcomes. That is a long-term focus. Our physicians on average have been in our groups for 13 years. Our patients on average have been with their physicians for more than a decade. This by definition is a long-term forward look, but it also builds on an incredible long-term period of relationship that has been built. And our partners bring that. And we spend a lot of time making sure that we are choosing partners that are aligned with us from a mission and from a vision perspective. So I don't feel like the fact that we're public makes that more difficult. Do we need to have quarterly calls in which we report earnings on things? Absolutely, we do. But are we ahead of where we said we'd be a year ago at the time of the IPO in terms of the number of primary care physicians, in terms of the impact in these communities, in terms of that built-in surplus investment in primary care locally that we referenced earlier? We are. And that, that says... I think this is a pretty positive thing for the country. I think it's a positive thing for these communities, for the primary care physicians, and for their senior patients. There are companies that are private, that are public, that are profit, that are nonprofit, that I can point to that are good actors and bad actors. I don't think the fact that we're public precludes us from doing any of the things that I talked about from having a real long-term focus on positively impacting healthcare. So I'm excited about what we're doing. I'm excited about the momentum that we've got. We've got a great mission-based team and just an incredible network of partners and nearly a half a million senior patients now on the platform. So I think something is, is going right and it's, it's really early days. Well, Steve, I, I agree. I share your excitement and it really sounds like you're doing great work. I, I see it in my work as a leader in the value movement. I mean, you have a new primary care model, which is provides a promise for the future. You're transforming organizations through partnerships and product innovation and, and providing talent and collaborative teams. I'm sure there's a lot of listeners out there that maybe want to learn more about Agilon or some primary care physicians out there that are seeking a new way of providing holistic care to patient populations. Can you maybe provide some parting comments on, you know, how people can learn more about the company and, and maybe the primary care platform that you're offering for the PCP community? Yeah, I mean, real simply, I think you can go to www.agilonhealth.com. You know, and our website gives physicians and patients and communities and others a really good idea of what we're doing what that experience is like for physicians and for, for senior patients. You can follow us on Twitter. You can follow us on, on LinkedIn and, and Instagram. And so there's a variety of ways to keep abreast of what we're doing. And the best reference that uh, I've found for physicians who are thinking about this is really to have them talk to our existing partners why they made the decision. It's a big decision. It's 20 years. You're making the decision to, to really kind of get married and, and to take this leadership role in your community. But so far, our partners are extremely pleased. And, you know, as folks go through this process and think about what they want to do, I think that's an incredible way to, to learn more about it. 
Steve Sell, Chief Executive Officer for Agilon Health. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us this week in the Race to Value. Well, thanks, Eric. Thanks, Daniel. Really appreciate the discussion. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Thank you, Steve.